When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water, they knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom, and he said to him, everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first, sign of his, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. This is the word of the Lord. It's great to be in here with you. This has been a long time coming. I'm Thomas Nelson, if we haven't met. And uh, <clears throat> I mean, just... I just want to just pause before we like start the sermon. I know you shouldn't because we just read the word and I want to get into it, but it just took a, it took a lot of folks to pull off like the grilling. Thank you, grill fellas. Um, and just like David Bailey, if you haven't met David, he's like the tall, very tall, thin guy with the brown cap on. Just if you see David, you should just tell him thanks. He has two little boys at home and a sweet wife. And David's been up here at the church for about a hundred hours in the last like three days. And so, and Will's been up here a bunch, just Kevin's been up here, a lot of people have been here. And so, and a big shout out to, to Kate, who is like working with Jason full time, but also helping me out. She's like double duty. So big shout out to Kate. Um, just really grateful to be with you tonight. I want to do something we don't normally do. And that is, it's a, tonight's a standalone. I like to go through a series, I like to go through a book, or at least keep a consistent idea. And it just, it helps me if I'm like, oh, which one did I, oh, I missed like, Acts chapter four, because now we're on six. And so how do I go back and find that? And typically we record these on a podcast and you can go back and you can listen to them. Um, tonight though, we're going to do just a standalone and it's because we're in this new space together. And next week we're going to, we'll do duck and goose stuff. And then in two weeks, we're going to start a series that's going to take us right up to Christmas. I'm going to do a series on the Trinity, which I think will be really, really cool. If you want to read now a great little book on the Trinity, it's called Delighting in the Trinity. I'd go ahead and I would like get on the Amazons and I would order that. And um, Jeff Bezos will have it to your house like tomorrow. Uh, it'll be great. And so I would just go ahead and I would, I would order that book. That's, that's, I'm going to pull a lot of stuff out of that book from that book. Um, but I think you'll really enjoy the series on the Trinity, and that'll lead us up to Advent. And there's only five more of these, and then it's like Christmas. Um, and so we'll have our Christmas dance. We'll clear all the tables out of here. And that's right, it is a Christmas dance. It'll be amazing. We have a couple that's getting married next year because they danced at the Christmas dance last year. And so, hey, who knows? Um, that's not like the total motivation, but it is fun. Um, and so uh, I don't even know how it got started. We just did it one time and like it happened and now it's a thing. Uh, so I'm looking forward to being a part of all of that good stuff with you. You should sign up for the ski trip. Otherwise, I'm going to have to sell my house to pay for all the spots that don't get sold. Um, but that's also going to be a lot of fun. Uh, let's, let, let me just like wrap all that up. And I want to jump into this passage, and the reason that I picked this passage 
it's like one of the sweetest moments in the ministry of Jesus. It's his first miracle. He's at a wedding. There's just so many things that happen in here. It's the first time it says, and his disciples believed in him. His glory is manifest for the first time publicly. Like it's, it's sweet. And I think being in a new space together is sweet. And so I think it's okay to take like one week out and just say, you know what, let's, let's go here. And a lot of times, by the way, the passage that I had picked out, it was, um, it was where Jesus says that um, he is the, the stone and anyone that stumbles over him will be broken and anyone he falls upon will be crushed. And Heather said, that's great. But sweetheart, what if it was like encouraging for one night? And I was like, yeah, that's a good call. Um, and so maybe another time we'll come back to that. But I think tonight will be convicting, but I think it'll also be really encouraging. And you know what? Sometimes we just need, we just need like a little bit of like push to build us up in the Lord. So John chapter two, verses one through 11, Lord, I do ask that you would speak through your word tonight. I thank you that you are the Lord of the feast. I thank you that you are the God who overfills. You're the God who overfills so much that you give leftovers. More than we can eat, more than we can drink is what you provide. Lord, I ask that you would overfill us tonight. We would be overflowing with you by the time we leave here. That the world might be affected by you tomorrow. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So on the third day. There was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Verse 1 of John chapter 2, verse 1. I'm going to pause right there because, once again, I'll point out Heather for this. Heather came in one day, and she said, do you know what is so interesting about, uh, about the third day of creation? And I said, no. And she said, it's the day that has a double blessing. So just to prove this to you, turn to Genesis chapter 1. It'll be like the first page of your Bible um, with small writing. And so... It says in Genesis chapter one, it goes through all the days of creation. You get to verse six and it says, uh, let there be, is that right? Verse six, do I have that right? Um, where was it? I wrote it down. Sorry, Genesis nine, one nine. I have my glasses on tonight. We should be better than this. Genesis one, verse nine. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together unto one place and let the dry land appear, and it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together, he called seas, and God saw that it was good. So the first part of the third day of creation, everything is just like one watery mess. God pulls it apart. There's dry land and there's sea, and so he separates the continents from the ocean. And he said, it is good, but it must have been early in the day because he keeps going. And so what happens after that? And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit in which their seed each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding with seed according to their own kind and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. So in John chapter 2, we see a wedding that takes place on the third day. That is a very common Jewish tradition to have a wedding on the third day of the week. Why? Because that's the day that God made earth and he made sea and he separated the two. And that's the day that plants begin to produce 
life starts to bud and it's a double good day. It's good and it's good. And so she came in and she said, did you know this? And I said, I didn't know that. that I didn't know that. And she said, what is the third day? And I was like, trivia, I'm just watching TV. Um, the third day is Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. And I was like, well, that's just kind of sweet. The day we meet is the day of double blessings. And the day that we, we gather together in small groups and in community, it's the day of double blessings. So I hope that there are a lot of Tuesday nights that you go home and you think it was worth it. I got up at five or I was a nurse and I did a seven to seven and I was still there. And you know what? The Lord showed up and he blessed me and it was worth it. And so I hope that you see that this day as a day of double blessing. And it was a double blessing at this wedding for sure. It says in verse two, Jesus was also invited to the wedding with his disciples. And when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. So I want you to remember, uh, I want you to remember verse four because I'm gonna come back to verse four. Verse four, is an incredible verse, and we're going to round out our time in verse 4, this whole idea of his hour has not yet come, and kind of the snarky tone that he has with his mom. Do not tell your mom, woman, what does this have to do with me? It just won't be good. So uh, we'll, we'll come back and address that. Verse 5, his mother says to the servants, do whatever he tells you. And we'll get into the rest of the story. The rest of the story, he's going he's gonna to turn water into wine. He's actually going to turn like maybe a, somewhere between 150 and 180 gallons of wine. If you're counting, it's a lot. And so like, if you're like thinking of bottles, it's like a lot. And so he's going to make like a lot of wine. And we'll get into all of that. But I want to just pause because... Uh, one of the, the, com the, the commentaries that I use is a guy named James Montgomery Boyce. And, uh, and Boyce is great. He's got tons and tons of commentaries. Um, they're not super technical. I've got some other commentaries that you're like, I'm glad that I did all that graduate work and know like Hebrew and Greek because like that, that's that you read and you're like, oh, every other word is in one of the original languages. But Boyce is great because he could be on like anybody's shelf. And so I really like Boyce. And Boyce, when I was reading his little excerpt on, on this miracle, he didn't even attack what we're going to really look at tonight. But he did say something interesting. And I, I think I've got the quote on a slide, and I'll read it to you. In the 14th chapter of the book of Romans, there's a verse that says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. In our day, Many Christians have gotten the part about righteousness, right? Many even have peace. But as I look about at contemporary Christianity, it seems to me that many are sadly lacking in joy. They have the doctrine right and are even secure in salvation, but there's none of the supernatural joy and exuberance that is to be one of the outward marks of the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ in a Christian I don't know if you've seen people that are like so Christian, you never want to be like them. The people that, um, that like look at you, what you're, you know, they're like studying, like, oh, they're wearing that. They haven't been here before. Like, oh, they have an NIV. They don't know that we're an ESV people. Like, you know what I mean? Like those kinds of people where like every little thing, if a, if a girl prays too long, they're like, the church have women preachers. 
Like people do that. They're like, people like pick things apart. And for some reason, we kind of view that as like, oh, they've graduated to Christian maturity because they're hypercritical. Think about what Jesus could have said in every conversation to people. The Bible says that he knows the heart of men. Like, how many times could he have like snapped at someone or picked them apart? How many times right now, if the Holy Spirit wanted to, if the Holy Spirit wanted to convict you and show you every sin in your life, how many of us after that would even have the strength to stand up to walk out of the room to cry? There's this like critical spirit that if you're not careful can become this pseudo badge of Christian maturity. And if you've been pulled away from the flames of hell, eternal damnation and separation from God by the free gift of grace, why in the world should we not be like the happiest people in town? And I love that Jesus is invited to the wedding too. That's where Boyce gets his whole idea of Christian joy being a main theme in this. Jesus is invited to the party. I've been at weddings where there was dancing and one recently, there was like a lot of dancing and it was great and uh, my niece's boyfriend was there and, uh, and he and I have like a good time together and some of you know who he is. And so he and I were there and we looked at each other across the room when they started, um, when, when Get Low came on and we were like, let's go baby. And so like, it was like a little embarrassing, but you know what, we were having a good time. And then my niece like snapped some pictures and I was like, you, you delete those right now. Um, but at the end of it, I was like, well, I just made a fool of myself, but I had a really good time. And I think everybody had a good time. I didn't have a drop of alcohol to drink. Like I was like sober as a, as a church mice. Um, uh, and so like, is that a thing? That's not a thing. You can be quiet as a church mice, sober as a priest, sober as a what? Sober. I was sober. I was like, totally, I was totally sober. And so... We, afterwards though, when I was like, when it dawned on me, like what had happened to me in the moment, um, cause that wasn't the only song that we danced to. Uh, and so like afterwards I started to walk out and one of the bride's family members, one of the grandpas, he slapped me on the back, this big old country guy. He slapped me on the back and he said, preacher, I'd go to your church. <laughs> and I was like, oh, thank you, Lord. Someone, redemption. There's like a little bit of redemption. But I just, I just want to share with you this moment that like Jesus was invited to the party and he became the life of the party. And he did it without sinning. He didn't wake up with regrets the next day. There is a way, Christian, if you are a Christian, there is a way to be that person that people are like, I don't know what they have, but give me two of them. I just wanna to read to you a few verses and you can just jot these down. I don't know that they'll, they don't have to be on the slides. They're just, just jot them down. Psalm 100 verse one, make a joyful noise to the Lord. Psalms 37, four, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Psalm 30 verse five, his anger is for but a moment. And his favor is for lifetime. 
Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Psalm 126, verse 5, those who sow in tears will reap with joy. Nehemiah 8.10, then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat, drink sweet wine, send portions to anyone who has nothing ready, for this day is holy to our Lord, and do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Galatians 5, 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. Against such, there is no law. Did you know that every one of those words is a noun? Joy is a noun. It is not a verb or an adjective. It is not something you like ascribe to something or like you just jump into. Joy is a thing. The joy of the Lord is a thing that you can dwell in and have and possess. And as a Christian, you do. The question is, have you put a stop on that? Because it feels uncomfortable or maybe you're supposed to be really serious about everything. You're always supposed to just be crying because of, of the next thing that you might have done. Boyce goes on. And he says, according to these verses, the life of the Christian is to be characterized by joy, not that superficial, raucous joy of which the world is capable of, of course, but by that divine and desirable joy that has characterized the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. Where do we learn of that joy? I believe the one one place is in the verses to which we come now in our study of John's gospel. So let's keep reading. Verse 6. Now, there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to his servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now, draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. And when the master of the feast tasted the water now become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servant who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and he said to him, everyone who serves the good wine first. And when the people have drunk freely, then the poor wine, but you have kept the good wine until now. And this is the first of his signs that Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. What this part of the story shows us among other things is that Jesus is a God of leftovers, of extras. In Matthew 14, 13 through 21, Jesus feeds 5,000 men plus women and children. And what does he have left over? He's got 12 baskets left over. And he did it with five loaves and two, the correct word would be sardines. These were not like, not like grouper that weighed 300 pounds each. He fed them with a little boy's lunch pail, a lunchable in essence. He's the God of leftovers. In Matthew 15, the very next chapter, verses 32 through 39, he feeds 4,000 people, plus women and children. And this time he has seven baskets left over. 
There's a trend when Jesus does a miracle. He doesn't just do enough. It's like overflowing. There's no way that wedding party drank between 120 and 180 gallons. In fact, there's an old theologian, his, name, his last name is Pink, and Pink had a hard time believing that this was actually literal because it's so much wine. He was like, uh, maybe that's like a guess. Like, there's no way that you could make that much wine, like that he would make that much wine. Not that he couldn't, but that he would, because that's like a lot of wine. That's... that's kind of the picture of the life of Jesus. When he does a work, he doesn't just do enough. The word lavish is in the scriptures. So think about this. If If he'll do more than enough making wine, 12 baskets left over making food, seven baskets left over making food, what do you think What do you think the the currency equivalent is when he dies on a cross to give himself to me and to you? There's like more than enough of what he offers us. If it's a video game, there's this old video game and like the code on the Nintendo pad was up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, B-A, B-A, start. And you got like 99 lives. And me and all my buddies knew it. Up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, B-A, B-A, start. And it was like 99 lives. You get them, you get them. But you had to do it before the game clicked on. Like it was like counting down and like you had to do it real fast. And if you missed it, it was like not good. And so this is like, it's more than 99 lives. It's like what he gives us is like more than more than enough. If my dad ever invites you to come eat at his house, you will think that he's feeding you and all of us. You're like, Dad, that's a lot of hamburgers. He's like, well, I didn't want anybody to be hungry. And you're like, okay, if you ever go to Heather's parents' house and you eat, her mom, no matter how much you eat, no matter how many times you are thanking the Lord that you have on your stretchy pants, no, like, no matter how many times, she will say, she calls me Big T. She'll say, Big T, you didn't eat enough. And I'm like, Sandy, just leave me alone. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like doing like the, the sleep like this at the table. I don't know if you've ever seen anybody sleep like that at a table. I have. Like I'm doing like one of those moments. I'm like, I just, I just need a break. And it's because they understand like this, this spirit of generosity. And there's a joy about them when they have more than enough. And you, I don't know if you noticed, Jesus wasn't the one who was like, you want to try the wine I just made? Like the servant brought it. And I wonder if Jesus was like hiding behind the corner going, they're going to love this. Like, this is going to be awesome. Because you know, eventually, by the end of the party, people were like, that's the wine dude. That's the wine dude over there. He makes the best wine. It was this incredible, this incredible moment of extras and leftovers. And he does it in these stone jars, these six stone jars. And a few weeks ago, we talked about the difference between clay jars and stone jars in the Bible. And there's a reason that they're called the stone jars. Stone jars in Jewish law could be used over and over and over again because you can clean them because the germs from things don't get stuck in the pores. You can scrub them and reuse them over and over again. This is like the good, the good Tupperware, not the ones that you buy in the eight packs that after you put chili in there, you've got to throw away because it'll never come clean again. This is like the good stuff. And he's got the good stuff to be used. But the good stuff is just sitting there useless. So there's a whole nother picture in here. 
these vessels that are clean vessels. They're ready to be used, but they're sitting there useless. And for me and you, we ought to ask ourselves, if we've been cleansed by the blood of Christ, we may feel like jars of clay, like 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7 talks about, these jars of clay. And we are fragile in some ways like a jar of clay, but we have been cleansed and purified, and so now we are stone jars in a sense. We're able to be used over and over again for the Lord, but you gotta ask the question, am I one of those jars that's already been filled to the brim? And the Lord is scooping me out and using me to bring life to tons of people, or am I sitting there just empty? Some people sit there as those jars because they're so afraid if they live their life, they're gonna sin. And so they have their seven hour long quiet times and they make sure that they're just listening to like Christian podcast or Christian radio, and maybe at Christmas 104.7, but like that's it until they play a secular Christmas song and then you're done with them for a couple of hours. Um, and so like, and I used to be that person. I used to be that person where I thought my whole Christian existence was just to preserve myself. And I was one of those stone jars that was just sitting there. And I needed the Lord to like come and rough me up a little bit. I needed him to fill me up without asking me. And then I needed him to do something wild in my life that I never even expected. Some people are, are just really numb to grace. They're so numb to the grace of the Lord, that they fill themselves with all kinds of stuff. And you gotta ask yourself, are you one of those Christians? Maybe you're a stone jar, you've been cleansed, you've been purified, you've been set aside for the Lord, but you're like, you know what? The Lord will forgive me, it's fine. And so you're filling yourself with all kinds of stuff, whether it's pornography or whether it's hooking up or whether it's bad stuff at work or whether it's like, the, you know, the list goes on. There's a million different things, you know what they are. But some people are like, ah, it's okay because God will forgive me. I don't know if you can ever remember a time when you were sitting empty though and the Lord did fill you and he used you to do something because what the Bible says I'm looking at is a royal priesthood. You're like walking Old Testament Levites in New Testament clothes in Gentile bodies cleansed and bought with the blood of Christ. You're able to enter into the holy of holies and stand in the presence of God and not just once a year, but every day of your life. He's got a plan and a purpose for you. And he wants to fill you up. And he wants to fill you up with his goodness that others might taste his kindness. You know, he's an over-provider. He makes empty vessels full to carry himself to the whole world. Boyce concludes by writing this. He says, he alone can quench the hunger and the thirst of your heart. 
He alone, listen to this, this is so good, I thought this was beautiful. He alone can put a song in your mouth that not even the angels can sing. He alone can give you true and everlasting joy. The verse that we skipped, I want to go back to it. Verse 4. Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. Like, I always, I guess I thought, like, because he did the miracle anyway. Growing up, I heard this story, and I would think about, like, Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. Jason just taught on this this past Sunday. Exodus 20, verse 12 says, children, obey or honor your parents um, that you may live a long life. And I was like, well, Jesus, like, it wasn't time for him to do a miracle, but his mom told him to. And so, like, he did a miracle. And so, I guess, like, he jumped the gun of his father's timing, but still, like, it was okay somehow because he was, he got caught in this, like, catch-22 of, like, I mean, like, I am the Word of God. So, like, I am Exodus 20, verse 12. And I, it just somehow or another worked out in his economy. But it was very confusing to hear this early on. And, uh, and so... I was like, I was kind of torn. Like, how does this all play out? Uh, was, was it not his time? Was it his time? Um, if so, I should start doing everything my parents say. If it's like an Exodus 20, 12, like even right now, I should do everything they say. And so should you, not my parents, but your parents. Um, and, and it was just very confusing. And then you have to pause and say, wait, wait, wait. Was, maybe something else was happening here. Because he's not saying, woman, it's not my time to start my ministry it's not my time to do a miracle. And how do we know that? Well, this is just good Bible study for you. Go back to verse 2. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. So in verse 2, if he already has disciples, which he calls at the end of John chapter 1, if he already has disciples, he's already begun his ministry. So you guys, like, what's he talking about? What does he mean? It is not my time. It is clearly like his time. His time has begun. He has started his ministry. I think, and Timothy Keller has a beautiful sermon on this that he did back in 2012. It's been a while since I've heard it, but like it's a, it's a beautiful sermon. I think what he's talking about when it's my hour has not yet come, I think he's thinking of his own wedding. He's at this wedding and his mom's like, hey, join in. Make this thing great. He's like, my, my hour hasn't come yet. And then he does the miracle. So he's not telling her no to the miracle. In fact, I think it could almost be read introspectively. And I'm just, I'm just talking with you. We're just family here just talking. So don't, you, know, you don't have to quote me on this. And you can disagree with me on this. But it's almost like an introspective moment of like, it's not, my hour's not here yet. And the reason that I think his hour is his wedding, when he becomes the groom and begins to prepare for us his bride, I think if I can just show you another verse, it's maybe the sweetest verse in the Gospels. John 13, verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that what? His hour had come. His hour had come to what? To depart 
out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world. Listen to this. He loved them to the end. He loved Peter, who would deny him three times to the end. He loved Judas, who never really loved him back to the end. He loved you and loves you to the end. He loves me to the end. You see, the hour of John chapter 2 and John chapter 13, this hour that he's talking about in 13, the one that hadn't come in chapter 2, is the hour when he is stepping into the role of the husband. But that groom in chapter two, the one that we never get his name, he didn't have to get ready for his bride like our groom would have to get ready for us. Jesus, I wonder what went through his mind when he thought about his hour. Wonder if you thought about the great links he and his father and the spirit had gone through to get to that place. Wonder if you thought about the pain it would take from him to trade our ashes for joy. I wonder if you thought about the loneliness on the cross it would require to give us joy everlasting. Wonder if you thought about getting ready for his hour to become the groom for us. Wonder if in that moment he thought about the constant struggle he would have watching us, his children, go through this life. The sicknesses we would endure, the sin struggles that we would go through, the, the, re, the, the resisting of sin and failing and falling into sin and coming back out by the grace of God so that one day by his grace we could clothe ourselves in fine linen and sit at his table as his bride. Revelation 19 verses 6 through 9 says this, And then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of the mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come. His bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who were invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. In Philippians 4, verses 11 through 13, most people know Philippians 4, 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But verses 11 and 12 say, I have learned the secret of being content, whether I have plenty or whether I have little. It's so interesting that contentment is coupled with joy in the scriptures. He is a God of joy and a God of over-provision. The question is, if you're one of those stone vessels, meaning you have been cleansed, bought with a price, if you are one of those stone vessels, 
Have you called out, fill me up? Fill me up and do a work in me that people will marvel at so that they may, so, so that the world might be able to, to, to see your goodness and to taste your kindness. Jesus fills us with his goodness that others might taste his kindness. On Sunday, a girl, Victoria, she got baptized up here and she said that in part of her testimony is that she realized one day, and this is startling and it doesn't sound startling, but it's startling for so many. She realized one day that God enjoys her. Jesus didn't go to the cross when it became his hour so that he could scowl at you all your days. Have you ever thought that there's moments when he says, yeah, 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 I know that you're a mess, but you're my mess. That he's actually like proud of you. That he laughed with his disciples probably at times when he could have called out sin in their life. He calls out sin in our lives plenty of times. But there are other times when we need to realize that he has brought us out of darkness into his marvelous light, as the scriptures say. And the joy of the Lord should be our strength and it should overflow and the world should look and say, I know a lot about you. What is it that makes you so calm, cool, collective, and like kind of glowing? You can be like, well, I heard this story about these jars. And I'm like one of them. And it's amazing. And you can be one of them too. So my question is, if I was you, I would be thinking, so how how do I start this whole joy process? I would take you back to Psalm 37 that we looked at a few minutes ago. Psalm 37 has a great command in it. It says to delight or to joy in the Lord. And he will give you the desires of your heart. That doesn't mean he's going to do everything that you want. In fact, probably a lot of the opposite. What it means is is that he, just like those jars, fills your life with what was intended to be there in the first place. And you start to realize, oh, I really like that. I want to teach you a Jewish expression as we end tonight. And there's an old Jewish expression Naksev vanashama. Naksev vanashama. We will do, then we will learn. It's an old rabbinic expression, and they would say, I know you don't get it. That's not what God intended. He didn't intend us to get it first and then do it. He intended us to do it first, and then we would get it. The command is simple. The act is hard. Delight yourself in the Lord above all other things. Nobody else loves you to the end like the man Jesus. Everyone else loves themselves probably a little more than they love you. If you want to have unfailing love, receive the love of Christ 
Turn to him. Be loved by him. The Lord of the feast. Father, would you fill us with your goodness? Give us the grace to turn to you. Give us the grace to delight ourselves in you. That you might fill us with the right desires of our heart. That the world may be able to then see your goodness and taste your kindness as the cup of our life is passed around in your name. Lord, would you forgive us when we delight in anything other than you? And right now, would you convict us and bring to mind anything we're delighting in other than you? Because everything else is a sham. Nothing else over-provides and over-blesses and over-cares and over-loves like Jesus. Lord, help us to see the lies we've believed and turn and repent and delight in you, the Lord of the feast. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.